Welcome back to the OWASP podcast. It's Matt DeSaro again, and this time we're talking about piece of or uh, point of sale systems, otherwise known as POS systems. I'm speaking with Aaron Weaver, who's been evaluating the security of point of sale systems for a while now, and has some very interesting tales to tell. Enjoy. Hi, I'm here with Aaron Weaver, good friend of mine from OWASP. He and I worked together on the AppSec Pipeline project a while back. And today we're going to talk about POS, point of sale. Aaron has some interesting experience there. And I thought he and I had a conversation the other day and I thought, man, this is definitely podcast worthy. So I wanted to bring him on. And if you could quickly, Aaron, just introduce yourself to the folks, give them whatever background you feel is appropriate. Well, thanks for having me on, Matt. It's awesome to be able to chat with you on this podcast. I've been in security for a long time, and I think it's almost 20 years, so we're starting to get gray, but gray and grumpy is what, what at least I'm becoming, and I think maybe you might share a little bit of that. I started out as a developer and then quickly moved over into application security, but quite recently, well, the last couple of years, I've been looking at point-of-sale devices. So when I talk about point-of-sale devices, Probably most people are familiar with the Ngenico or NCR point of sale devices. But more recently, you may have noticed what looks like a mobile phone with a little printer on the back. You've probably seen those in like coffee shops and other places. And those are the devices that I've been looking at recently. And the reason that a lot of places are switching to these is, well, you can probably guess it. It's to do with cost and functionality. Because you can develop a, a mobile app, push it down to the device and it runs, and you don't have to use some proprietary software or C or C++ program, which is what the Ingenico used to be, which we're very familiar with. So the first thing I found out, and I don't think you would be surprised at this, Matt, at all, which is, maybe I'll ask you a, a question here. What version of Android do you think these point-of-sale systems are running? I don't have an exact answer, but I can give you a vague one and say, not the latest, not even close to the latest. <laughs> yeah, right. So there are quite a few of them that are running Android 5. Oh, my. Which I had to dig back and see, well, when did Android 5 come out? And it, if Wiki, Wikipedia serves me correctly, it's 2014 is when that came out. Ooh, and the more decade. recent... Yeah. And the more recent ones use Android 7, which I believe is, oh, 2016. Oh, so what they're Ouch. doing is they're taking stock Android. Obviously, they're customizing it. And of course, what's coming along are all those security vulnerabilities that are within those devices. What I've noticed across the board, it's not just one particular company, and I'm not going to mention any companies, but... A lot of them are obviously they're Chinese point of sale devices. I'm not picking on China. They, they actually are very slick looking devices, but they all use older Android operating systems and they're the off the shelf stock Android. So you're not looking at something like Android Enterprise, which would give you more API security capabilities. Yeah, so we've got some point of sale systems where the beauty is only skin deep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then the one thing that's just, I don't know, I don't know why I get surprised about this, but it seems like whenever any different sort of technology comes out, whether it's mobile, IoT, uh, you pick it. It just seems like we forget all the lessons that we've learned 
and we go back to square one. And I don't know, I just, I, you know, you try to speculate why this happens. And I don't know if it's just, I don't know, just people don't want to look at, I mean, OWASP, obviously, we've got great references here. Anybody can go look at that, the mobile top 10 API. I mean, those, those are all there, but it's just like, we just totally ignore it. Yeah, it, it always, I struggle with that too, because I don't know if, if is like the debate in my head is, are we not learning lessons? Do we not think that broad problems that happen in software suddenly change when I have software running on a little computing device called a POS, which is really just a mobile phone, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same stuff. It doesn't matter if it's running on a mainframe or on my super fancy watch thing. Like it's all software and you can read in data that you shouldn't treat data like code that you shouldn't. These are all like universal software problems. And it, like, is it people don't it, they expect the technology to fix that or do they, is this because we're getting new entrants as developers into the profession and maybe the new people aren't learning? It's, I don't know. I wish I could answer that because I'd love to fix that problem. Right. And it's basic things. So like when we do an analysis of a point of sale system, I mean, one of the first things I do is I plug it in and just analyze the traffic like anybody would do, like with an IoT device that you get and just see, okay, who is it talking to? What's it talking to? What are the protocols? What are the ports? And almost, in fact, I think every single point of sale Android device that I've looked at, wide range of manufacturers, all of them, have some form of unencrypted communication, HTTP back to servers in China or other Asian countries. Just Ugh. off the bat, like just sitting there, just watching what it does, unencrypted traffic. That's nothing new. Would it have hurt to just put an S on there? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you have to get those uh, SSL accelerators on your servers because TLS or SSL is such a you know, computationally expensive process. And by the way, I'm talking about problems from the 90s, not from today. Right. That blows me away. Is this telemetry? Is this, what is this? Obviously it's HTTP, you can see it. I don't know if you've dug into like what kind of traffic it is, but it's already kind of a fail that it's phoning home in my mind. It's a mix. So I have seen like over the years, certain manufacturers, they came out with, and then there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to it as well. Like sometimes there'll be, it'll have TLS on it and sometimes it won't. But yes, it includes telemetry. In some cases, it's including TMS software, which is the terminal management software used to pretty much do anything to that device. So sometimes we've seen a mix of where it sometimes will communicate over TLS and then sometimes it won't. And like I said, I we can't ever figure out like, how are they deciding when to use TLS and when not to? And why why wouldn't you always use TLS? And then beyond that is just even validating that the certificates are valid, which we saw issues with that as well. The TLS or not, you got to wonder, like in the back of your head, is this just like somebody forgot to drop an S in a URL somewhere in some source code? Or how does this, you would think if it was intentional, it would be all of one or the other. So this feels like weird bugs or like unmodified chunks of code. Wow, that's just, that's nuts. Yeah. And the other thing we do is we obviously decompile the APKs and it's usually layered. There's going to be the point of sale manufacturer is going to include APKs. There's going to be sample store that's usually in there for pulling down additional point of sale implementations. And then there's the SDKs that come with it. 
you will usually run that through your normal mobile OWASP top 10 and decompile it, see what's there. And then we usually pull out all those URLs and endpoints. Half the time, actually most of the time, all the traffic is going to Alibaba. We've seen NTP mm. connections to, like the one was always doing NTP connection to a server in India. Why India? I have no idea. It's probably where the developers worked. You know what I mean? It's probably the NTP settings from the desktop of the person who coded the thing. I need NTP settings. Uh, I'll just copy mine off of the, my computer. Hey, that works. Move on. And also you can see, like when we just talk about supply chain, you get the feeling that all of it's been kind of, in a way, cobbled together. So mm. you see lots of traces of all this various open source software. Some of it's just been thrown in there. It may not actually be called, but it's just sitting there on the system. The other interesting thing is we usually will find three or four ways of remote control, which is really spooky. Wait, 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 wait. Three or four? Like one is kind of spooky in and of itself, although you may need that for fleet maintenance. Right. So there's their standard fleet maintenance. And then we'll find a secondary control that will push like another way to push updates. And then we'll sometimes find supplier related remote control management. So in one, we found, I believe three, and there was another one that was not active, but it was on the system. Came from the chipset manufacturer. I know it sounds ridiculous, like I'm making this stuff up, but these are current. This is not like I'm talking 10 years ago. I'm talking, you can go buy it right now. You can go plug it in and you're going to observe this sort of behavior. Now, some of the manufacturers will say, well, you don't need to use our terminal management system software. You can use, you know, and they'll give us all these other ones. Fine. But then you try and lock it down so that it's not beaconing all over the world. That's a whole nother thing. Wow, that's nuts. And so th just a, circling back on the terminal management software that you said some of it was unencrypted, I'm just beginning to wonder, can I do things like firmware updates through that terminal management software unencrypted? And some of them originally you could, and then they started to get better with doing signing and doing proper firmware crypto, doing it the proper way, I would say. For example, in one, you could strip out, like just do an SSL strip of it, and it was doing a connection to, to check for updates. And essentially, whatever command you gave it back, it was essentially a remote RCE. It, it was an RCE. <laughs> so you would, just, you would just intercept the command and say, yeah, I'm this IP address, and here's the response. Here's what I want you to execute it. It would execute it as root on, on the terminal and do whatever it is you wanted it to do. Wow. That's like, a, that's like the old school web shells. Yeah, yeah. Just built in. <laughs> yep. And it would periodically change, you know, like every, I don't know, it was like an hour. Every hour I would say, hey, do you have a command for me to execute? <laughs> so it's polling even. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and, wow. and interestingly enough, like with this particular manufacturer, we found the GitHub repo for it and it was all in Chinese and it was six years old. So we don't know. I mean, very possible they forked it and it's now an internal, but essentially to me, that's a dead project. And that was one of their major, that was their major communications for upgrades and things like that. Wow. Yeah. So they took basically the corpse of a former open source project. It looks like, yep. and <laughs> animated the corpse and made a Frankenstein POS system. <laughs> yeah. And, 
And, and oftentimes when they, what they tell you, and obviously what really is truly happening can be two different things. It's trust, but verify. So for example, they might say that you have a different TMS store. And so you can point it to that, but there still might in the background be a background connection for say firmware upgrades and things like that. Which, which leads me into my next issue is that as far as security updates go, it's not like they reach out to the credit card supplier and say, hey, you know, we've got two critical vulnerabilities. We need to push these out to your, there's, there's nothing like that. There's no security bulletins. There's, there's no patch Tuesday for a terminal, terminal software, if you will. Yeah, I was about to use the Tuesday word. Yeah, that, that's surprising because this is handling real money. Right. Even if it is a little local coffee shop, you do that in enough coffee shops. That's some some real funds. Right. When you should start to go through all the issues, you're like, this is from a security perspective, complete failures. Like it's not just one, two or three. It's just sure we understand we're getting a device that's cheaper. But does cheaper mean that we just don't even bother with basic security hygiene until people like us look at it and say, hey, this is unacceptable. This is what you need to be doing, of course. And then you sort of incrementally nudge them in the right direction. But it seems like a lot of them are not taking security as seriously. Now, maybe that's starting to change a little bit because of pressure. But overall, generally, every device that we've looked at, and this is just, we're not doing like some places where we're deep, deep analysis. If you go even deeper, you're going to be able to find a whole, all sorts of things. Well, there's got to be CVEs in an Android from what did you say 2014 yeah yep. i mean 10 year old just the linux kernel has changed a lot yeah in yep. in almost a decade let alone <laughs> all the software that sits on top of it i mean that just that's spooky <laughs> oh and they're not even they're not even following you know industry standard iot practices as far as so for example, you can flip over the POS system in the back, you're gonna see a serial number. When I first started to get into this, it was just an ID number, and that was all that you had to do. You know, it was, it was your simple BOLA. Oh, geez, that was your identifier? Right. So you would just, we would increment it and see, cause then you could pull down like, okay, where's that device located? And we did that. Or we did the opposite. Like we took a device and said, let's put it in Saudi Arabia because you could spoof the GPS. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so then the manufacturer, in response to that, they decided that they would encrypt the serial number with keys on the device. <laughs> so all we had to do is obviously call the function, change the serial number. And I kid you not, we went to YouTube, searched for these devices, and when they would flip the, some people would flip them over. We would enter that serial number and see, is this device still in service? And, it, and we did find some that were located elsewhere. Oh, oh, well, listeners can't see me covering my mouth in horror, but oh my goodness. <laughs> Just, oh, like all these mistakes. It feels like we're back in the, you know, yeah. fat 32 Windows 95 days. Not that you know, yeah. a chunk of our audience ever had to experience those, but when basically if you got physical access, it was, you were done. Like it was party on. Yeah. I mean, that's always been a problem, mind you, but uh, geez, that's just, that's mind boggling. I'm still kind of stuck at this. It's not like Android. I mean, there's open source Android, right? You can go get this. You can go get a recent one. 
It would be like today writing something in Python 1. Like, <laughs> right, right. We're to three. Like, go get the latest. It doesn't cost you anymore, except for maybe some time. Oh, my goodness. One of them had this script that every time the device would boot up, it would run what was ever in that script. Now, that script file was not there on like a stock install, like, but, it, but it would check it. So if you wanted to run something, you just had to set like a property to tell it to go look for that. And then it'll run every time. All you had to do is set it to yes. And so that was another way to gain like persistence. You threw whatever you threw into that, it was going to run as root and execute it. So you, as long as you knew, like, it, I mean, it sounds like you had to have a specially crafted file name in a, in a special place. Right. And it would just pull that off and run. Yep. Oh, that smells like debugging or QA that got left. But whatever it is, that's spooky as all get out. Right. And now, <laughs> now what they'll try to tell you is we're not, you, you can't easily, like if you try to plug into it, it's not like you can root it. You know, it's not like it's, it's coming as unrooted. But the thing is, the thing is, obviously, we're running like almost 10-year-old software here, six-year-old software, right? So you just have to find a CVE for what particular you know, system that you're looking at, exploit that, drop, a, drop it into that SH file, and away you go. Oh, my. Yeah, that's, that is nut. And the, obviously, these things are connected to the internet because they're phoning home and doing telemetry. So we're not assuming an isolated device because I mean, that's the whole purpose of having these point of sale things is so that, you know, the, the magic happens across the network, right? So yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and in some instances are connected in multiple ways. So you're able to connect via Bluetooth, you're able to connect via via Wi Fi. In some cases, it might even have a, an old school Ethernet connection on it. And then on top of that, you're looking at because you know you're going to pay to tap tap to pay dip you, you have RF, rfid you have every communication that's possible in this little device well i mean i i sort of get that in that you know you do want to be able to support the apple watch or my tap with my phone or nfc or any of that other different ways you can pay yeah. but that doesn't mean you have to do it with a phone that has an ancient operating system yeah Oh, wow. That is just mind boggling. Yeah. And I was going to say, just along with that too, is, I mean, there's really two pieces to this. So there's, there's the software that's actually, there's the, well, there's several here. There's the OS that's on there. Then there's the software that the manufacturer's putting on there. And then there's the terminal management software. And then in some cases there's remote management software. And all of those are diff obviously different teams. And so... What we've seen though is like the terminal management software to be API top 10, they violate almost every single one of them. And then they try to tell you, like I had, we had one company that said, came back and said, well, you don't have to use our TMS software, which has all these holes, it has Bola, it's got, it's got everything. I mean, how comfortable do you feel like, okay, so our TMS people, they don't know how to code, but our terminal people, they're, they're good. They're good. They're good. <laughs> I, yeah. I, we put I, all our junior devs on the TMS software, so it's okay. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Wink, wink. Ah. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd like to think they consistently applied whatever kind of SDLC across all of the code bases, not just cherry picking one. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's honestly best case scenario because they probably just don't have an SDLC across any of them. 
I don't think they do. Some of them maybe are moving into that just because they're getting forced to do that. But if we look at like, why are we in this situation? Well, there's very low incentive for a store owner to want to have the latest system. All they want to do is be able to process credit cards. So it's not like you want to spend hundreds of dollars on your POS system. In some cases, they're getting it for free. So I think this is like part of that issue where we talk about, well, why do we have poor security here? Why are we using these older devices? It's because they're not either, either they're paying for it or it's being supplied by their credit card processor. So this is in one way why we're in that situation, but then who's going to look at this? It's not like your store is going to look at this or even a large chain is going to look at this. It's, it's going to be, it has to be higher up. The thing that's sad too is it depends. I mean, the, you have a couple classes of buyers, right? You might have, like you said, the processors, you may have actual store owners, sole proprietors, what have you, even companies, chains, whatever, buying these things, but they're going to look at cost. I mean, that just uh, sadly, they're mostly going to be driven by cost. And the assumption is that, well, these are secure, right? They'll ask that. And the vendor will, of course, say yes, because either, you know, with a nod and a wink, or they just don't know. But they're not going to say, oh, no, we're completely insecure. You shouldn't buy our product. I've never heard a vendor say that. <laughs> well, if you look on their sites, you'll see that they hit. They'll have all the logos. They'll have the PCI DSS. They'll have them all there. And it may be true, but it's probably like they only analyzed a fraction of that whole ecosystem. They're not looking at the entire system. And when I look at it from a threat perspective, if I'm the attacker, I'm in, yeah, I'm interested in the end, the device itself, but even more interesting is if I get to the terminal management software, well, and if I can push updates, that's where I'd like to go too, obviously. Yeah, why pop one when you can pop a fleet of them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're all phoning home. And I mean, in every case, we found BOLA, broken object level authorization. It's it, in every case, there's been one. And, and sometimes it's been like, you know, on a very small API, but we're fine. You find it in almost all of them. Wow. That's just painful <laughs> because BOLA can be really horrifically bad depending on what the API is doing. It's not good in any API, mind you, but like, Sensitive operations in BOLA, Bob's your uncle. That's a, that's a field day for a pen tester. And I mean, you don't even have to, even if you're just like, hey, should, who should get into this? Or how do I say this? Just jump in and try it. If you're interested in this, any field, any level, I guess what I'm saying here is any skill level, you're going to find something. You, you don't have to be like the, that's what I was trying to grasp for is you don't have to be like the best, highest skill level to find something in these devices. Well, I mean, Wireshark is not a high bar. I used that forever ago when I was pretty IT clueless to try to debug things or just learn how the heck a network works, right? And that's not a, that's not a high bar. <laughs> yeah, and I was also just amazed too. It's not just TLS, HTTP traffic. You're going to see custom traffic going across the wire. You're going to see UDP traffic. There's just quite a bit. And even for fun, I mean, this was simple to do, but like, we put on the old Angry Birds on on one of them. Was playing Angry Birds on. I mean, it's an Android system, so it's gonna it's gonna run whatever you put on there. But the point is, is that they're not always they're not locked down in the ways that they should be. And what was scary was in some of these tablet systems or these bigger ones that you'll see they want to have other apps on there, which is scary. Like even if, having a web browser on there. 
Yeah, because browsing with a 10-year-old OS is not going to be a problem. And like the underlying browser, I'm sure, isn't updated. And there's never been bugs in browsers. So what could go wrong? Right. Wow. Now, if you look at getting the credit card number, I mean, there is a key injection process. I won't go through all of that. It's like from the reader, it's going to be encrypted with the keys that are on the device. And that's a fairly solid, very well-known industry standard accepted method. And they do that. But the thing is, is we even demonstrated that you can actually sit between the reader and intercept it before it hits the key injection process. Now, of course, you've already got to do some other compromises in the first place to get to that point. But what I thought was interesting was in some cases that it was actually compiling to C++, that it wasn't natively communicating via Android APK Java. It was actually calling out to another compiled library that the manufacturer had included. So now we've increased our threat vector. So now we can move into C++, see what's going on there. Yeah. Well, however you think about the Java programming language, you can do a lot with it. I'm surprised of the necessity to reach out to C++ unless the person doing the coding just happens to know C++ or you happen to have a wad of C++ around that works. So yeah. we'll figure out how to shim this into the Android ecosystem and call it good. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> I don't want to just sit here. I mean, I have just sat here and sort of picked on the point of sale devices. But the question is then, okay, well, how do we make this better? I think there needs to be obviously some more openness. A lot of it's just basic security programs that you should have in place, but then be willing to share that. I think from a while ago, we talked about that software bill of materials or what's inside. But in some ways, I also think you need to provide that as far as network connectivity, because certain countries don't want their data going out to servers in a different country. And I would tell you that with all of these point of sale devices, they really cannot guarantee that that's going to be the case because these things are beaconing out like all over the globe. And that's not an exaggeration. Even when we tried to say, all right, use this terminal management software, not, not any of the others, we still found it beaconing to places it shouldn't be beaconing. So even taking like a conscious effort to restrict that, you failed because of like basic, I'm assuming hard-coded beacons. Well, hard-coded IP addresses, that was the other thing too, is <laughs> you would think that it would just be domain names, but in cases we found almost all of them, we find hard-coded IP addresses that go back to like a cloud server in Asia. Oh, that's even some, somewhat spookier. I get why you'd want to do IPs because you don't have to worry about DNS, mind you. But if you happen to cycle that, compute on a cloud and somebody else right. gets that, then suddenly you're beaconing to some random person's cloud host. <laughs> it's like, ah. Yeah, I mean, it really is a calamity of security ignorance. I, I don't know, I, but it, I mean, it, it's, it's completely unacceptable. And the fact that we they can still slap some logo on it that says there's some assurance there of security really well, obviously it underscores us. That's why we, That's why they need people like us. <laughs> it's total job security, but, but still you feel kind of let down. Like it, it shouldn't be this way, especially for a system that is supposed to be secure and process credit card. Uh, every time I've run a product security group or program or what have you, I've, I've, my explicit aim was to make my life hard and boring. Right, I wanted to test all our software and find no issues. That would have made me so happy, because then I could, you know, I would have air quotes won. 
Now, granted, like it's never really going to be that way. Humans are writing software. They make mistakes. I get that. But I'd like it to not be just a horror show out the gate. That would be a blessing, <laughs> to say the least. So I got to ask, you've looked at a lot of these and we've, like you said, you talked about like next steps. What can we do? Have you, I'm assuming you have found some that weren't as interesting as others, like some that were, I don't need you to name names, but if you do decent due diligence, you can find POS systems that have some reasonable security. Is that the case? I would say yes. I'm not sure if I would call it reasonable though. <laughs> so it, comparatively better yes. security from the basket cases. There, there are some that are, you can tell are trying. And mm. then there's others that are, unfortunately, they had such bad development practices that they're trying to catch up, which is going to make it harder. And so their production systems that are already out in the field or even still being sold because they obviously they still want to make money on that product because they put a lot of R&D into it. You're still going to find those, but you might find that they're newer products will have less security issues, but you'll still find, hey, you know, like questions to ask would be like, well, what stock version of Android are you running? How are you managing security updates? I think from the industry, we need to put more pressure on them instead of just trusting. I'd say it's funny. It's a white box, not a black box. But in some cases, they actually are black. They are a black box to us. I was just trying to think of what else to say on that. <laughs> I think... For sure, you need to do a lot of due diligence and not to trust any of your vendors. I mean, that's a given, right, in our industry. But we do sort of think, hey, you know, we're getting this device. We should have some trust in it. But I would say, no, you got to have a very rigorous process that you're going through, whether it's like a third party that you're using for attestation. But there's definitely a, a line of questioning that you should go through. Yes, some vendors are better. Some vendors are just coming up and they're trying to make a wave in this market because it's starting to become crowded and they're trying to make a spot for themselves. So I'm hoping that there's some vendors that come up and say, you know what, we're security first uh, versus some of these other places that are not. And I think that will slowly drive, you know, obviously better security practices. But for any place that's trying to implement this sort of thing, and I know it's, this is kind of niche in a way because you're, these are the larger companies that are going to be doing this. It's like from the consumer perspective, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, you just... You got to swipe your card and pray. Right. So it's got to be driven from the larger organizations. But I would encourage anyone who is interested in this field or anyone is in mobile security, this is wide open. Take a look at it. See what you find. We have given feedback to these point of sale manufacturers and they do make changes, but it's astonishingly slow. Well, and that air quotes fun thing about this kind of software deployment, because you have how many already fielded? If you don't have a good update mechanism, you almost have to wait for somebody to spill an extra large latte on the POS system and kill it by physical means before it's going to get replaced. Because if I'm a small proprietor who wants to just take credit cards and make sales, I'm not going to replace that unless it just doesn't work. I mean, period. Right. Well, and you want to, you want to be able to process. There was an issue with a credit card processor in Australia who they ended up bricking thousands of their POS systems. It wasn't, I don't know whether it was security related or not. Let's just, we'll leave it why it occurred, but it occurred. So now you have all of these angry business owners, which justify to be angry. I wouldn't be they happy. They can't process because something happened either in a config file or something when they pushed it. Now they've got all these brick systems. Yeah, they have the, pro the ability to do remote updates, but then, well, What's the change management process look like for that? There's a lot that goes into this. 
but the margins are low. So that's the trade-off here and exactly probably why we're in this situation. And the, the sad fact is too, that if I was to buy a, if I'm a, like I said, a sole proprietor and I buy a, a POS system, my expectation is that it, cause it does financial stuff, it should be much more resilient, rugged, what have you, than the, the Lego Mindstorm thing that I bought for my kids so they can make some like Lego-y robot stuff. And it makes you wonder. I've not looked at Lego Mindstorms. Maybe it's rugged. Maybe it yeah. isn't. Who knows? But I sure would like to think that the financial transaction handling software would get a real good look over. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So one of the things I do in the podcast is I have this wonderful deck of cards from the Basecamp Card Company. And I'm going to pull a random card out of the deck. And I'm going to ask you a completely unrelated to point of sale system question. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to shuffle a bit and pull one off the top. All right. Oh, <laughs> how apropos. It is the Joker card today. Would you rather be able to speak whale or read babies' minds? Oh my goodness, that is the Joker question. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that one. <laughs> well, the thing is, I don't usually speak to whales, so... Perhaps I'd like to hear what the babies have to say, because I can't remember the last time I've come across a whale. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a very niche skill set. Wow, that is that is by far the most random question I've pulled out of this deck. Most of them have been kind of like, what superhero would you like to be, right? That yeah. are just kind of, you know, answerable. Wow, that one, wow. Well, thank you for being a guinea pig for our most ridiculous question from the card deck. And I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to help get us a good episode for the OS podcast. This has been super interesting, a bit spooky, and maybe we won't all sleep as well. But at least we're informed now and we can do something about it. For sure. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Defect Dojo Inc. for making it possible for me to record this episode. Defect Dojo Inc. is a team of experienced technology and security professionals who build tools that actually provide peace of mind. They want all humans to sleep better knowing that their work is effective, their progress de-risked. Defect Dojo's flagship software offering is a security automation and vulnerability management platform that serves as a single source of truth. It can import results from more than 150 different security tools. It is a leader in the space with over 30 million downloads. Contact them at defectdojo.com for more information about their products and services.